0: This Story Slam. It is me, your host, Adam Rosted, uh, just coming at you with a new episode. This recording is from uh, January 2017. Uh, the theme was, I Fought the Law, and there's a lot of great stories to be on the lookout for. Um, hey, you may be aware that we've been doing a GoFundMe to uh, get a new computer for Story Slam. Our old one is just horrible. It's it's like the worst thing and it sucks to deal with. And um, we're really excited. We, we started the GoFundMe about a week ago as of this recording, and uh, we are $180 or so away from reaching our goal. Uh, so I I donated $250. Uh, so then I took every everything that's been donated so far, and I dipped a little bit more into my savings and just went ahead and, and purchased a computer So that I could work on these podcasts that that I need to get out. I have about, I think, five or six that I need to get out, uh, including last month's. Uh, So we bought the computer. The GoFundMe is still going. So if you want to contribute to that, uh, that would be huge. That would help us a ton. Uh, You can find the link for that just by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Madison Story Slam. That's where you can find all the updates on everything we do. That's the easiest way to get in touch with us. Or you can go to the website, MadisonStorySlam.com, find the Facebook that way, or email me from there. I love talking to you guys. So Um, let's see what else. It's been a while. We have some new intro music today. This is just some stand-in stuff uh, from our friends at Friendly Monsters. Uh, I hired them to do some uh, new music, and they're going to be working on that for us over the next couple weeks, and we'll get something in. But this is something off of... uh, i don't know some album they're doing but uh so we're really excited about that uh coming up may 20th is our next story slam event the theme is death sex and money and if you don't have a story that fits in with one of those three things then you just haven't been living so uh, i trust we'll have a great time sponsored by ill asylum as always we always appreciate their sponsorship and their delicious, delicious beverages. Hey, our first storyteller is Eric Doak with a great story about, uh, well, I'll let Eric tell you what it's about, but strap in, get ready for some great stories and Enjoy.
1: Well, good evening. Can everyone hear me? Cool. All right. uh, I'm just going to dive in and see how I'm going to try to err on the side of shortness. So this story takes place in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I was doing uh, the second half of my undergraduate and then my graduate work. And New Mexico is the land of enchantment. Right. And that means lots of lovely things. But basically, it means if you come there, you know, we're going to try to put a lot of psychedelic substances in you. Right. and so, my friends had transferred campuses from rather conservative Annapolis, Maryland, right? And so, we had just this lovely thing going in the mountains outside Santa Fe. And we had a friend come to visit one weekend, Dan Dan. And Dan Dan was a wild child, right? And just, you know, most curious person I ever met, but loved his substances. And so, we were determined to show Dan Dan a good weekend, right? Uh, and so, Friday night, we get there. Uh, I feed him the last acid we have with my best girlfriend, Jess, right? And we're going to go find, like, an ounce of weed and, like, hit the weekend, right? And so I'm driving Jess's boyfriend's, uh, car. So Nick, the boyfriend, Jess, Dan, Dan, and I are in this car. I'm driving, right, through Santa Fe, uh... And we're on, you know, we're in an area where I didn't know the roads very well, so I was going like 40 and like a 25, uh, driving with my knee hitting the bowl, right? Windows are closed. I don't know. Hotboxing, yes. (laughs) Fabulous ideas, right? Uh, And so I'm like doing this. Jess and Dan Dan are tripping on acid in the back. Nick's sitting shotgun, watching me drive, and I see the lights go on, like my 11 o'clock. You know, berries and cherries. And I'm just like, oh, man, the cop, cop, like, whips around. You know, I, like, try to open the window and start to air out this, like, drastically. I'm like, does anyone have cigarettes? No one has. Does anyone have gum? No one had. Does anyone have mustard, Pat? Like, anything. <laughs> like, give me... Mustard packets is actually a really good backup if that's the way you got to roll things. But uh, no one, of course, had anything. And so you know how sometimes when you're, uh, you know, you're getting pulled over, you want to, like... Tail it out for an out for a mile or so. Try to hide thing. You know, maybe you don't know. Anyway, people, <laughs> people in the next room. People in the next room. Well, I was like, oh, we're screwed, right? Like, we're just lit. They're super lit. Uh, and so I just pull right over, right? Windows down. Cop doesn't waste any time. Walks up. It's just, you know, you can smell. I think, I think almost immediately, he's like, "Do you guys have marijuana in the car?" Right? Like, obviously, we had marijuana. Like, it just, re- you know. And I, like, like, just very instantly, like, hey, you guys have any marijuana? You know, like, my eyes are just cached, right? I'm just staring up at him. He's looking, looking down. Uh, Jess, from the back seat, tripping on acid, like, we smoke cigarettes. Like, there's no cigarette sense in that car. Not a little bit. Uh, and I didn't have my identification. No license on me, right? So the cop's, like, you know, staring at this person who's clearly lying to him, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my name. I'm from Wisconsin. We go to St. John's up the hill. Uh, and, he, you know, he's like, okay, okay, okay. We didn't have insurance on us, right? So insurance and license and I think... So. so he goes back to the car and looks, comes back. He's like, yeah, you're not in the Wisconsin system. I'm like, come now, come now, right? And I'm just lying. As far as he's concerned, I'm just lying through my teeth. Oh, yeah, there's no drugs here. We don't know what's going on. I'm like... Uh and luckily I had once memorized my driver's license number. Yeah? Raise your hand if you've memorized your Wisconsin driver's license number. It's harder than most driver's license numbers. D200020075349, right? And he, he looks at me, he gives me this long look. I'm just staring at like, oh yeah, officer, this is gonna work. Like this is my driver's license number. And he's like about ready to take us all out of the car. I'm like, no, no, I'm serious. Like can I said it twice to him He wrote it down. Okay, you know, a couple minutes later, comes back, he's like, well, I found you. <laughs> and I was like, game on, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know what it was. He just saw a bunch of college students, like, down from the hill. And so he totally let us off. On, I mean, it could have been really rough, right? And he gave us, like, no insurance. And I don't even know if I got a speeding ticket. It was, like, insurance and identification. And I just took it into the... The uh, court system a couple weeks later and got off scot free. And so we went on to like go get an ounce of weed and just tear the weekend up. But uh, yeah, memorize your driver's license number. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Eric. Please put your hands together for rivalry.
2: Thank you, thank you, homie. All right, can you guys understand me okay? I'm wearing a mask. I don't know if you can tell I'm wearing a mask. (laughs) All right, I really didn't think I'd go second. Anyways, um, so I'm a a graffiti writer here in Madison. I'm active in Madison. That's why I'm wearing a mask today. That's why I had him introduce me with my alias. Um, So this story, how many of you guys are familiar with Garver, with the Garver feed mail? Does that ring a bell at all? Uh, It's an old abandoned building. It's covered in graffiti. We paint there all the time. So that's kind of where this story starts. I want to say it's like a Tuesday night. Um, My phone rings, and it rings, and it rings, and it rings, and I don't answer it because, I mean, I never answer my phone. So then, you know, I see who calls, and I text him, and I'm like, what do you want? And it's my guy, Wrecked, And he's like, hey, man, it's really warm out. I got all this paint. Let's go to Garver, bro. And I'm like... I look at my Xbox, I look at my phone, I look at my Xbox, and I'm like, all right, we'll go. Um, So I strap all my stuff up. There's like a routine. We call it going on a mission when you're getting ready to paint. You pick your outfit, you pick your shoes, you pick what paint, you, you look at your sketchbook. Now you never bring your sketchbook with you, but you look at it before you leave. So anyways, we hop on our bikes and the whole way there we're riding, we're smoking and drinking. You know, that's what we always do. It's not a big deal. Um, and we go in the back, and it's, it's no problem. We start painting. Uh, we're laughing. We're playing music. Now, at some point, I hear something. I want to say this is like 20 minutes in. So I look over to the side, and I can see a truck right on the corner of the building. And I'm like, ah, I'm sure it's fine. It's, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. So we keep painting, and we keep painting. And now I look over, and I see that the truck is now much closer than it was before. So eh, we err on the side of caution. We start kind of putting stuff away and taking gloves off. So the vehicle gets a little closer, and uh, that little, like, spotlight that they have right on the A-pillar of the car lights up, and it starts shining all of us. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was a cop. I I, I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty obvious that it was a cop. Um, So, like... I don't know, it kind of hit me at that point. Like, all right, so we're vandalizing property. We're trespassing on property. We got to get out of here. Like, we got to go. I can't talk to this officer. I can't do anything. And you just have this level of focus where you just kind of get everything together calmly but efficiently. You know, you can't make any mistakes. You can't drop anything. I've got my wallet on me because even though it sounds dumb to have your identity with you, (laughs) if you do get busted, you want to be able to prove who you are so I didn't want to leave any of that behind and then that's it we strap up on our bikes and we go back around the corner to the front side of the building um and we just sprinted away and that's what I remember is just like I'm in the drops I'm looking down at the road and I'm just sprinting and I'm counting the stripes of the road and like that sound of the pedals kind of grinding and I don't know if you've ever any of you guys ride road bikes you're familiar with the that whirring sound when you're in the powder power band kind of on the road Um, but that was really loud because I was going really fast Um, and I'm pretty sure I lost like a portion of my life just for how hard we were riding Um, so then eventually we're away I'm further away and that's when it hits me like I'm not don't have any of my guys with me Um, and I don't know where they are (laughs) so I pull over at like a 7-eleven and I'm leaned up against a tree, and I'm like, <laughs> and I dig out my phone, and I start texting everybody. Um, yeah, and we kind of met up at some unapproved spot. I want to say it was like a community senator or something like that. And, uh, yeah, we just met out front, and we're like, oh, everybody's okay. We're all in one piece. And then uh, that's it. We biked home and called it a night. Now, in retrospect, that cop slow-rolled us. He hit the light. I don't think he wanted to bust us. I think he was just like, you guys need to get out of here. (laughs) Um, So, like, props to that cop. (laughs) Like, that was pretty cool, I guess. Um, That's pretty much the end of the story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, rivalry. Um, Graffiti is a weird thing that's illegal. I don't, like... As long as you're, like, painting abandoned buildings, I don't know. I guess, like, I don't know. I'll shut up. Um, (laughs) Our next storyteller (laughs) is, I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, He pronounced it to me, and yeah. Uh, (laughs) Maybe when he gets up here, he'll pronounce it for you, but I I can't do it. Uh, But his first name is Lotto, so please clap for him.
3: Uh, hey, guys, my name is Lado Bahutashvili. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't bring a uh, uh, graffiti writer level of street cred up here. Um, this band-aid on my nose is not from headbutting a rival a guy. Uh, I tried to Kool-Aid my way through a glass wall earlier in the week uh, as I was on my cell phone. Um, LAUGHTER I was listening to uh, A$AP Ferg's New Level and I was trying to achieve uh, just entry through a doorway and I startled about five uh, people who were waiting for the bus, but uh, I was too, I mean, I didn't get embarrassed because it was way too funny because I mean, I really like, I really lunged into this wall. Um, But um, my story is... um, So I have a weird name because I'm originally from the Republic of Georgia, which is a former Soviet state, and uh, the story I'm going to tell is not really, I mean, it's more about just how ridiculous and kind of lawless um, where I'm from uh, used to be in the 90s when the uh, Soviet Union uh, fell apart. And uh, this story takes place in uh, 1994, 95. I'm in my, I'm in first grade, I mean it's eastern europe so it's like 1895 or whatever like it's 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 like it's bad um and um it's uh i'm in the first grade and um it's my first experience uh basically in like school or anything and i'm like rip-roaring to go i have a brand new backpack and then like there's this first day you know uh uh, children bring, like, bouquets t- for the teacher, and, like, everybody's, like, education, but, like, the, the roads are all messed up, and, like, ev- electricity supplies, like, not consistent, and uh, it's, it's bad. But, uh, soon, uh, we, in, in the class, we're all excited, we have, like, new friends, and everybody's from the neighborhood, but we soon realized that our teacher is, like, I don't know, like, kingpin from comics. I think that's a m- Marvel person, I don't know, just just a square, just giant, evil, I wear rings, but it's really like a brass knuckles type deal <laughs> person, <laughs> and um, soon uh, uh, we realized that, like, f- physical abuse is like game, like, it's not, it's not like, oh, you, you didn't do your homework, it's like, come up here and get, like, back slapped like crazy. Um, I know this is, this is a story about be- beating uh, children, but it's supposed to be funny. But, uh, <laughs> um, and if you thought that Roger Federer had a biomechanically sound backhand, uh, you've never seen Miss Isolde just go back, rock that hip turn, and follow through on a kid's face. And, you know, the kids in the back are like UFC announcers. Oh, he took it straight to the face! And um, I m- myself never received the backhand because I did my homework like hysterically after seeing that for the first time. But I got a couple of ear turn and lifts that were whew, pretty uh, intense. I know I'm making it sound like it was kind of horrific, but it was it was very exciting. It was very <laughs> it was very it was very fun. You're like I don't know, eight years old, and at that time you're like whatever, man. It's, it's just fun. But um, one day. Uh, she declared that. So I don't know. Kids are occasionally asking t- to go to the bathroom because they didn't do their homework or something, and just are trying to trying to. Because in Georgia, when you um, when there's a lesson or like when um, uh, you don't really turn homework in, well, m- most of it is like oral reports, and you you get to come up to the front of the class and like say like our lesson was whatever, and then you know if you don't know like it's it's bad news. So. She was like, no, but nobody's asking me to go to the bathroom like t- today like this game over guys So nobody gets to go to the bathroom. Some kid like asked to go I have to go really bad it gets slapped out pretty bad and I with my pea-sized bladder Am like entering that stage where you're like, oh god. Oh, and so I mean I was getting bad, but I was like, I'm not getting a beating. I was wearing pretty dark pants So I was like, whatever, man. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it rock let it rock. And I mean, you have to understand, the the school is in such disrepair that the first order of the day is to fight over, like, the good chairs in the class, which, are, which have, like, the seat that is still bolted on to the thing. So, I mean, whatever. So, I'm like, so I go, I go, I mean, tremendous relief, but then I'm like, oh, God, kids are going to, like, notice it's game over. In m- middle school, you piss your pants. I mean, nobody will. You're the piss your pants guy for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> so... Let it go, small puddle. I mean, I'm wear- the good thing was I'm wearing, like, some kind of, like, I don't know, like, black hole pants that you can't tell that it's wet. But a l- little puddle forms, right? And I managed to, con- the school is in such disrepair that I managed to convince my friends that it was, like, from the roof. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, this is not hyperbole. You know they would have loved to make fun of me for the rest of my life if they had suspected this situation. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's a part of the story. But then my real so I couldn't really I don't know I've I moved to the U.S. I've horrified of getting d- deported, especially now. <laughs> and uh, so I don't really have any intense stories l- like that. But from around that time, I just remember um, after school uh, in the winter one day we were. Uh, we just found uh, that throwing snowballs at cars at this intersection was just amazing. Like, it was pure joy. And uh, in around that time in Georgia, like, the um, people just threw stuff on the streets in there. And right by that intersection, there happened to be, like, a f- photo, d- photo t- t- development uh, place. And you know those, uh, I don't even know what they're called, like, whatever... The old film cameras came with the little cartridge, you know what I'm talking about? The little thing. So there was literally a pile of those right at that intersection. So one of the most rowdy kid in our group decided that loading that into the snowball would give it good balance, right, for the cars? And I mean, I mean, snowballs, you know, you got to pack it down, you got to make a good one, but you put one of those in there, I mean, it is like just, it goes, it just goes. And so I'm like, I don't know, guys. You know, it's kind of dangerous. And (laughs) other guys are like, Come on, whatever, let's have some fun. So I load one up, I let it go. It is, it is joy that can't be described. Like when it hits a car. I don't know if you guys remember when Randy Johnson made that pigeon explode. Baseball reference. Oh yeah, there we go. Randy Johnson is. Come on, this is the U.S. It's a baseball reference. It's a pitcher. There's this video of him pitching, and then a bird comes in, and it explodes because he hits it so hard. Um, so basically, I get one, and I rock it at this perfect motion, just absolutely beautiful. It explodes on the car. You hear the cling from the little photo thing that hits the car, and, but, and no car has stopped, but this one immediately comes to a screeching halt. And a very angry and giant, hairy Eastern European man doesn't yell, just starts running towards me. <laughs> and I am I go from like pure boyhood bliss to it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna die. Like the one I'm dying tonight. So I turn around and I sprint so hard that it's I don't know, like my heart is exploding. I have, like, tunnel vision. It's blurry. In my infinite genius, I'm like, oh, uh, oh an apartment building. I should r- run into there. Clearly not a dead end. So I run into this apartment building, and um, I just, uh, in Eastern Europe, I've seen, you've seen, like, it's, a lot of the apartment buildings are just, like, project buildings, you know? And it's just, like, stairs up and apartments around, usually, like, eight to ten floors. And I just run up these steps. I run up these steps. I run up these steps. And I reach the top It's just a dark, like, area, just a small one with the apartment doors. And I sit, I curl up, I sit, and I'm like, I'm going to die, man. I'm going to die. This dude, this dude didn't even say anything. I could hear his footsteps behind me. And I sit there, I can hear my heart beating. But then, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. I get up, and I'm like, I mean... I think he didn't he didn't show up so I go down the steps I find m- my friends as each of us is like tentatively trying to like l- l- look around for, for the guy but uh, I didn't get he he I mean he just he, he didn't come after me and that's the grand finale all right thank you very much thanks
0: lotto uh, my favorite part of your story is that you told us all about how you peed your pants and then you're like and then I moved to America and I'm afraid of getting deported so I've never done anything like that again. <laughs> yeah, you better not. You better not pee your pants. We'll send you right back. <laughs> I would have been deported several times. I... uh I used to work for a company called Badger Bus here in town uh, and I worked for the paratransit division so we would pick up people with disabilities and take them all over town. And a driver that I worked with, um, this is a story about peeing your pants, just so you know. Uh, uh, I just gave it away. But anyway, uh, a driver that I worked with was a really nice, soft-spoken, unassuming kind of guy and uh, just did not have the... he did not, he was not the type of person that should be working this job. If you were working this job, you were on the road for like 11 hours, uh, and it sucked a lot of times. And, uh, you had to break the law by speeding a lot. And like, he was the kind of guy who would, uh, drive like 10 miles under the speed limit. So it was really not a good fit for him, but I'll never forget about three weeks into his time at Badger Bus, uh, all of a sudden over the radio, I hear him call to base and, uh, and he goes, Uh, Base, I've had an accident. And uh, that's not uncommon to hear on the radio because we're driving. I mean, there's like 25 buses driving 11 hours a day. And so Base is like, okay, well, like what happened? Uh, Is anybody injured? And he's like, no, nobody's injured. And they're like, are you injured? No, I'm fine. Is there any damage? And he's like, no. And she's like, what what did you hit? And he's like, I didn't hit anything. (laughs) And she was like... Well, you said you had an accident And then over the radio To buses full of people He was like I peed my pants <laughs> <laughs> And like He knows that everybody heard that And like we see him at work It was very hard to work with that guy From then on Because like, he's like the peed your pants guy While you were working like, he had it in his head that you weren't allowed to stop ever. Like, it was very common in this job to have, like, hour and a half breaks because, like, people would cancel their rides or you'd just be fast enough that you could get breaks. And he thought he wasn't allowed to leave the bus at all. And I feel bad for the guy, but still, he's the PJ pants guy. <laughs> so I've had an accident. Uh, our next storyteller uh, is honestly one of my favorite storytellers. He's always very funny. He's won a couple, I think, of our Story Slams. Uh, his name is Zachary, and his last name is Shay, So please put your hands together for Zachary Shay.
4: I've actually never won. No. I won the costume contest on Halloween. That was it. Well, you have deserved to have won. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, so... I was struggling to think up a story for tonight because I'm, I'm not really a rule-breaking or law-breaking kind of guy because I always happen to get caught. I don't, and it, it always deters me from ever doing anything bad for, like, spans of years at a time. Uh, one of the few times I did break the law, in fact, it might really be the only time you could say I broke the law, uh, was when I was 18... Sorry, 17... And I was, my girlfriend told me that she wanted to have sex for the first time and to buy condoms and I was so embarrassed that I shoplifted them. Uh, I actually told that story in one of my first story slams and it ends with me buying like pens to the value of a three pack of condoms and forgetting them in the CVS to like ease my guilt. Because I was really only going to get one shot at buying condoms. Uh, I spent most of my teenage years working at a summer camp on a small island in the middle of Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Uh, All right. (laughs) One of the ten people from <laughs> New Hampshire. Um, it is beautiful, and it's a lot of fun, but you can't really leave the island. So that island sort of becomes your community, and it has its own rules, which might as well be law, because i would seen people seriously break the rules, underage drinking, and they get kicked off of the island, um, and one of those rules was don't be a horny teenager but I had already stolen the condoms so I, we had to give it a shot. <laughs> but they were really good at enforcing it. There was no privacy on this island. There was Everyone had a roommate. I lived in a closet and there were three of us. There was a triple decker bed because there was no room to put a bed next to the other bed. Um, So when I finally did this, we had to think of a good place to sneak around. I'm not gonna explain my gross teenage sex to you. Um, (laughs) So first we tried in the laundry room. That doesn't go well. Um, Maybe we were just bad at it. Maybe I was just bad at it. Maybe your first time on a dryer isn't the best place. But I just, it, 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 it didn't go well, it was like 40 minutes, she got nothing, I got nothing. Waste of the first condom, so we're down to two. <laughs> so for number two, we decide, because I worked in the craft shop and I taught photography classes, we'll do it in the dark room. No one's gonna find us there. I know where the spare key is hidden and we get up and of course we can't see anything and that hinders us more than we suspected <laughs> so we turn on the safe the safe light or the, the safe light in the dark room and i often describe my body as an attractive potato <laughs> so under the orange glow i was an attractive sweet potato and that just wasn't doing it for her i guess so number 2 didn't go well either we were getting better uh, but not good. Um, so that doesn't work. So we need to find a place where we think it's, it's, it's going to be sexy, and no one's going to interrupt us, and she goes, the shower. Which, in hindsight, now that I'm older, shower sex makes no sense to me. Um, LAUGHTER You just end up on the outside and cold and gross and whatever. But in our heads, like it had been romanticized, we're like, that makes sense. Now, there's only communal showers at this camp. There's communal bathrooms, which will have two or three shower stalls. This is a family camp, so it's adults and kids. We have to be strategic about it. So we figure we'll do it during the camper's dinner. Nobody's taking a shower because it's a family-style dinner. Everyone goes at the same time. Uh, I was supposed to go in first, for some reason we picked the guy's side, I was supposed to go in first, see if there was no one there, and then she snuck in, and we both went into the shower. Needless to say, we were still bad at it, so it was a long time and nothing was happening, and then we hear the, so we get quiet. Nothing. Nothing. There's some feet move and a weird jingling, which I can't explain. <laughs> I mean, I can. It's a surprise for later in the story. But <laughs> in the moment, I can't. We wait. And the noise kind of dies down. We had sort of had a plan. We were like, if someone goes into the stall, we'll just be quiet until they leave. Um, and if someone goes into the shower, will I will check and she will sneak out. Um, but nothing and we're kind of waiting to hear the door slam again or the shower turn on and nothing's happening So we're like, okay Maybe there's nobody out there And then I hear on the side of the stall <laughs> at, I was hoping that would have been a louder knock <laughs> I hear a Knock at the stall, which is odd because you don't expect to hear a knock when you're in the shower. Well, so I go out because it's the guys' bathroom, and I—I I, I don't need to explain that to you. That's the safest <laughs> bet. I go out and I poke my head through. Ah, standing outside of the stall was Harold. Now, he, this was a YMCA camp. Harold is not someone who's at the camp usually because he is an executive of the YMCA of Greater Boston. He's also the pastor. He's also roughly seven foot tall and naked. And I'm not seven foot tall, so there's like a weird disparaging in height when I get out. And he's, he's not even... He 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 walks off and he sits down naked, legs spread on this stool, and next to him he's taken like the little kid's like stepping stool to wash your hands and turned it over. The jingling was his massive, also like seven foot tall dog who is now lapping water out of the upside-down stool, which is turned into a makeshift bowl. And he's like, and he knows my name, like we've talked. He goes, hey, Zach. And I go, hey, (laughs) what's up? (laughs) And he goes, sorry, you've just, you've been in the shower for a long time and the other shower head is broken. Oh, do you mind hurrying up so I can take a shower? because I have to make an announcement at dinner. Okay. So I go in, and we're, what do we do? Um, And we come to the conclusion that the the window is too small, the, the stall is too high, she can't get out. I poke my head back out, and I go, I can't get out of the shower at the moment. And he looks at me, and he goes, Oh? Uh, are you going to be a while? and I go yes (laughs) I'm going to be a while and he just looks at me and the first expression on his face he really wants to know And I, I assume he was a relatively smart man because the next expression on his face was he knew And then the third expression was he wished he didn't. So he goes, I think there's another shower nearby. He puts on his pants, he takes his dog, and he walks out of the bathroom. And I wasted my third condom. That's it.
0: Thank you, Zachary. Why is that such an old dude thing to just wait naked for a shower? I don't get that. Oh, man, if I had a nickel for every seven-foot-tall naked pastor that knocked on my shower... <laughs> a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, but really, like, why... I get, like, there's one shower that's working, but, like, why? why is the... <laughs> I don't know. Why is the protocol to, like, lounge naked waiting? (laughs) What's up? Uh, Our next storyteller is also one of my favorite storytellers. I believe she has one. Wow, I am so off! (sighs) I'm pretty sure she has. I think she's just faking it. Uh, But her name is Mel Hammond, so please clap for Mel Hammond. (laughs)
5: in junior high, I lived in a really small town full of farmers, and I was on the cross-country team. And one day, the whole town flooded, and we still had to go to school, um, but we had cross-country practice after school. And I ran cross-country with my best friend, Kirsten, who lived really near the park where we practiced every day after school. So usually after practice, we would go over to her house and hang out. Um, but on this particular day, it, every, everything was strange because there was water everywhere. Um, and it was flooded at different levels throughout the town, but the most flooded area was right in the park um, where we had cross-country practice. So on one side of the river, we always met at this park bench. And my cross-country coach would meet us there, um, tell us, what route to run, how long we needed to be out, and then he would sit down on the bench and eat Reese's Cups for the practice. Um, And it was really lucky for us that he was one of the lazier coaches um, because he had no idea that on the other side of the river where he had sent us, it was in three feet of water. So our route was no longer a running route, it was A breaststroke route. (laughs) So he sent us on our way and we are just having the time of our lives. We are just goofing off. We're splashing each other. We're like, we start out wading through the water. It's probably up to our knees, but then it gets higher and higher and we just dive in and start like swimming. And we come back around the river and cross the bridge and we get back to that park bench and we're all soaked And he's just confused and angry. He's like, why did you go swimming in the floodwaters? Go home. Cross-country practice is over. So Kirsten and I are free early. So um, instead of going straight home, we decide to explore this flooded town a little bit. Um, So we go exploring through the park. And we um, do some more splashing around. We splash in some mud. There's just mud everywhere. Um, In one, like, extra juicy puddle, I stick my foot in, and then my shoe gets sucked right off. And, like, I, like, reach down for it, but it's gone. So I'm just, like, walking around with one shoe on. And then um, we're, like, thinking about going home soon because, like, both of us have to pee, and we were just at practice, and so we're kind of tired. So we're, we're walking towards our house, which is just on the edge of the park, But then we pass this beautiful lake that wasn't there before. And usually what is in this area of the park is kind of like a a ditch um, with a drain at the bottom. But today it is a swimming pool. Um, It was probably about the size of like two of those above ground backyard swimming pools. Um, So we look at each other and we're like, oh yeah, this is it. So we jump in to the water, and this is not like wading through the cross-country course like we were before. This is like over our heads deep. This is a serious swimming pool. So we're swimming around, having a blast. I've still got the one shoe on. And we see a car driving by. And it kind of slows down um, when it gets to our swimming pool. And the guy leans out. Now, I, I didn't tell you this before, but Kirsten was a very connected individual. Um, her mom was a Spanish teacher at the high school. Her dad was a youth pastor at this very big church in town. Um, and her grandpa was the mayor. So <laughs> everyone knew her. And if she got into trouble, like people would know. And by association, people would know that I was getting into trouble too. So um, the car slows down. And the person who pokes his head out is the mayor of our town. And he looks at us. He's like, Kirsten? And we're like, yeah, it's us. And he gets out, and he walks to the edge. He's like, that's full of shit. (laughs) The pool is full of shit. The sewer overflowed. That's a sewer drain. And we're like, (laughs) ugh. That's too bad. (laughs) But that doesn't diminish the fact that we are having a blast. So we are already in the poop lake. Like, it's already done. So the mayor of our town gets in his car and drives away. And we're like, I mean, let's let's swim some more and I'm like well we had to pee before and like now it doesn't matter thanks
0: thank you Uh, That is a person who just admitted to willfully swimming in shit. So, (laughs) wow. Uh, Our next storyteller uh, is also one of my favorite storytellers, and he is actually the reason that I chose I Fought the Law as uh, this month's theme. Uh, I I sort of hinted at his... It was more than a hint. I... I kind of said what his story was kind of in a rude way, and I, I hope I didn't offend him when I did. But he's got a great story. His name is Tom Schmidt, and he's awesome. So please clap for him.
6: All the other stories gave me a lot of ideas, so, but we'll stick to the one I've got. Um, in uh, uh, 1965, I graduated from high school, and I went to college. And during that time period, the Vietnam War was going on, and I had uh, pretty firm beliefs about the war, and so uh, the uh, against the war. <laughs> And uh, so I I did draft counseling, or I got somebody to explain to me what the draft rules and regulations were, and um, uh, so I was up on the the technicalities and the the, uh, rights that uh, people had in regarding uh, the draft and their personal beliefs. And... uh, When I was in college then, I had a deferment called a 1A deferment, which is a student deferment. When I would graduate, that deferment would leave, and I would become uh, perhaps 1A, which meant that I was eligible for military service. But while I was in college, I applied for a conscience objector status, uh, a CO. And also, at that time, they decided to go into a lottery uh, for the draft. And the lottery, they pick numbers well, like they do in Bingo. They pick numbers out, and, and there's 365 chances. And I was number 54, which meant I definitely was going. Uh, but I applied for my, my CO. And when I graduated, my wife, my wife and I got married when, I, when we were... Uh, uh, beginning our junior year, and um, so we t- made a decision that we were going to uh, head for Canada and uh, uh, and then wait to find out if the conscious objector status would go through. I grew up in Milwaukee, and uh, I found out later on that only two uh, COs were uh, uh, granted out of the Milwaukee uh, Draft Board. And uh, so we headed for Canada. In order to get into Canada, you had to have certain re- requirements were necessary for you to get into Canada. All of them were designed for draft age uh, males. So you got points for being between 18 and 35. And I was. Uh, You got points for having a job, and I had a job. I made, uh, I got a job, working for a company called Browndale, and they were there's a residential treatment center. Um, You got points for being married. I was. You got points for having money in your pocket, and I did. So we headed up headed up to Canada. And uh, I started working uh, at it with a company called Browndale, again, a residential treatment center. It was out in the boonies. The closest traffic light to the, the house that I worked in was uh, 50 miles away, and it was only there because there was a bridge that was one lane. So while I'm uh, working, uh, part of our job was to take the kids' wilderness camping for three months. So my wife and I lived in a, a tent for three months uh, surrounded by disturbed children. And uh, well, there were a few other adults there besides me. My wife worked down the down the lake from where, where there this site was. And every morning I'd get in the canoe and I'd paddle her about a mile down the lake and drop her off at the residential treatment house that she worked at, which indeed was just a camp on a lake. And every night I'd pick her up in the canoe and bring her back. While this was going on, there was a postal strike in Canada. So part of asking for a a change in classification, which I had because, again, I asked for a CO, they could not give you a CO or they could not change that classification until I had had a personal appearance with them. In other words, I was, I made it a request and they had to respond to that request and by them changing my classification to 1A, they had broken one of their laws. So with that in mind, I had a little bit of leverage. But it was a postal strike, so I just wrote them a letter back and saying, well, I got the the notice two weeks after I was supposed to be there, reschedule me which they did, Um, and at the time when they did this, um, I was at the, the wilderness campsite, and the wilderness campsite doesn't get mail, so I wrote them back, and I said, please reschedule me, which they did. The second time, I was sick. Now, this is going over a period of months and into years, The second time, or the third time, they contacted me and they said, come on down. And I said, well, I can't come down, I have a doctor write me a a, a notice that I had been in his office and I was not fit to travel. They sent me another one. And this time I asked my, uh, the head of the uh, treatment house, I asked him if he would on my behalf, send a letter to them telling them that I could not up- show up. In other words, this time I was definitely stalling. And uh, he did. And the next thing, they sent me my conscious objector status, <laughs> which I was absolutely amazed about, because I figured I was living in Canada. And my parents thought I was be living, <laughs> living in Canada and my wife's parents thought that we were going to be living in Canada and uh, so fine I have it now. In the meantime the company I was working for, Browndale, decided to open up treatment centers in Madison and they offered me the the first treatment house to run in Madison. It was located on uh, uh, Gorham Street, ten hundred block and uh, so I accepted that job, and as part of that, I informed my draft board that I'd be coming down to see them on such and such a date or such and such a time period. And so I drove down to Milwaukee uh, from uh, Ontario, and I uh, walked into the draft board, and there's a lady, a secretary, sitting at a desk. And I said, My name is Tom Schmidt. And she said, "Oh, you're the guy that lives up in Canada. At such and-such a location, you have a foster child living with you, and uh, you live with your wife, or you have a wife." And I thought, "Oh my God, you're a secretary knows my, you know, some of my personal history, and it, she doesn't even know I'm showing up." And I got, I got really nervous. And I said, "I'm here to volunteer." And so she pulled out my file and laid it on, a count- on her counter. And I said, well, I'm going to read this over. And so she said, fine. So I took the uh, volunteer application for a CO, and I looked it over. And I said, well, I'm going to take this home for my wife to read. Now, she's busy doing her- something at her desk. And she said, fine. So I just packed up the entire file and I walked out of the office. (laughs) And the next time I heard them, of them, they contacted me when I was 37 years old and they said I was no longer eligible for military service.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Tom. Uh, maybe that's a story that doesn't need to go on the internet. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna What are they gonna do? Send you over to Iraq? Yeah. Uh, I love that you stole your entire personnel file <laughs> from the U.S. government. That's amazing. Uh, our next storyteller is the reason we have the "do not throw things from the stage" rule. Uh. uh <sighs> If he feels like explaining why that is, maybe he will. Uh, Otherwise, just find him after his story and ask him. Uh, His name is Marty, but he likes to go by Meat Man, so please give it up for the Meat Man.
7: Thanks, Adam. Hello, Madison. Tonight's a special night. So I dressed up a little bit. My mom taught me if it's a special night, you should be dressed up for this. Tonight, one year ago tonight, I set foot on this stage for the first time. So it's kind of a a special night for me and it's been quite a year to say the least. I've met some awesome people at this. And now to celebrate that, I'm gonna ask everyone to please give me the finger. Would you please help me out with that? I think I got the church table here. Sweet. Sweet. We love it. Awesome. Thank you very much. And now, in honor of this being a special night, I decided to do something different. This theme that he has tonight, I wrote in his, uh, on, the, on the Facebook site that this is right in my wheelhouse. I could probably sit up here for about three hours and tell stories about breaking the law or getting in trouble with the law or whatever it is. So tonight, I'm going to leave it up to the listeners to ask what story I'm going to tell. I have two stories in mind. One is a tale of a fishing story that ended up at some trouble at the Canadian border with some co-workers of mine, which is a very interesting story. Or we also have... I know we have more props. Oh, here it is. Here it is. This is awesome. This is my first business card. Exotic World News. Appleton, Wisconsin. 728 West College Avenue. This in Appleton, Wisconsin was our first porno store. And yours truly got a job working there. And needless to say, we had a few run-ins with the law there, too. So, I'm going to let the audience decide... Between the fishing story or the porn story. So much for the fish. Why did I think that this might win the contest? Okay, so this is the story. 40 years ago, right now, 40 years ago at this time was when I was working at this store. And I got a funny feeling from looking at the crowd that Tom might be the only one that understands what these stores were about. This was pre-internet. You couldn't get porn on, you know, you had to go to somewhere to get porn. You couldn't just pop it up on your computer and watch whatever you wanted to. So there were these little stores, and I, I don't know, I, honest to God, I don't know if they still have them or not, but they're like little, there's these stores with all these little peep show booths in them, and there are all these film shows and, and people come in and they put quarters in the machine, and you get in the booth and you watch your porn movie. So they needed people to hire there to fix the films. It was all eight millimeter in those days. This was all eight- millimeter film, and, and that's what your main job was here was to, to, to fix these things. Well, at the time the, and this is really the truth at the time, I was living at the bottom of a whiskey bottle. And I was not the person, I'm not the great-looking guy I was today. I was, I was not in, in very good straits at the time. Um, so I had went through lots of jobs, and this place comes into town and totally get in protest. I mean, they wanted to shut this place down bad. This was 1977. They did not want this place in Appleton, Wisconsin. But there wasn't much they could do about it. They were trying to write laws against it, but by that time, the place was open I'm walking by one day, help wanted. Hmm, I needed a job bad. I was in, I wasn't doing well. So, the, and they hired me. So, all right. So, I start working there. And like I said, most of the, most of the time, you were fixing film. But yet, I really didn't understand what this place was about when I started there. I, you know, the things that people do in these little booths were like. Kind of eye-opening to me. I didn't really understand that these guys came in there, and that was like their excitement for the night. And they would go, the sp- and they would, you cannot believe how much money this place made. They would get $10 worth of quarters, and in an hour they'd come out and get another roll of quarters, and back there they would go. And, and when you had really good movies, you knew it, because there was like a little line waiting to get even to watch the movies. And these were little plywood booths with, a, with just a, a white screen painted on the back door. And you had to use your foot to, like, focus it because it didn't always focus very well. And then the booths on the end, two booths on the end, the, the, between the booths, they had a whole big hole drilled. And honest to God, when I first started working there, I didn't know what that hole was for. I, they called it a glory hole, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <laughs> I thought that it was just a, a some construction guy messed up and left this hole in there. But you know what? For some reason, we always put the gay movies in that end down on those two. And all of a sudden, I went, oh. You know, when you're cleaning these things, oh, you go, oh, well, that's kind of crazy, man. People are coming in off the street. And I'm like, and this is Appleton. We don't have gay people in Appleton in '90. At least that's what they told me. So I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. So, so the, the, the establishment is wanting to shut this place down. And we got people protesting outside most of the time and that kind of stuff. So, so I get to a point where I was going through a really bad stretch. There was four of, of us good friends living together. And like I said, we were living at the bottom of a whiskey bottle bad. And... Two of the friends just before this story, probably about two weeks before the story, were found Dad in the garage. And so life was starting to get really real at the time. And you would think that would really wake you up, but it really didn't. It kind of plunged me even deeper over the edge. But so I'm working in this, in this store, and my dad, who I hadn't talked to in a couple of years because I have been living so bad at the bottom of a whiskey bottle that we weren't getting along at all. So one day I'm sitting there working, and who walks in? My dad, with one of his best buddies. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, my dad's in here. And, I mean, this place is peep shows, dildos. Though it's all. And here I'm sitting behind the counter, and I'm like, oh, my God, here's my dad. And he's walking around, and him and his buddy are in there, and they're kind of walking around. How's it going? Oh, it's all right, you know, everything's going all right. Well, not five minutes later... In comes one of the detectives with some guy, and I knew he 's a detective because he 's been one of the guys that 's been trying to close this place down, so he comes in he 's got this guy with him, and we weren 't supposed to let anybody in there that didn 't have an ID so Right away, I, I asked for his friend's ID, and he, didn't, he, said, well, he, he looked at the cop, and the co- detective was like, he doesn't have to give you an IDs with me. And I was like, listen, you have to give me an ID. I said, I have rules, and the rules say no one can be in here without an ID. I don't care if they're 100 years old. And he was like, he's not showing you his ID. And I go, listen, then I said, I'm going to have to call the cops and get him thrown out. And he was like, I am the cops. And I'm like, I don't care. I said, he's... he's <laughs> This man is leaving, and he's going, let me see your rules. And I go, I'm not showing you my rules. I said, listen, that's the rule, and, and he goes, I want to see your rules. He goes, let me see the license to run this business. And I said, you know I'm not going to show you the license to run Wham! On the counter, I go, handcuffs. He's like, all right, you don't have a license? That's cool. You're going to jail. And as I look up, there's my dad going out the door. Oh, thanks, Dad. You're going to bail me out? Jesus, I mean, he's hightailing it out the fucking door. He's gone. And I'm, and I'm in handcuffs. And, and so they haul me down to the station. They booked me for operating pornographic moving machines without a license. We had a license at the store. We just weren't allowed to show it to the detectives. And it was one of the things they would do to anyone who worked there to try to embarrass you enough. to keep, they, were, they would do anything to try to shut this place down. So in Appleton, this is one of the great parts, They In these days in the paper, they have the police and fire beat. So who gets in there but the meat man. Meat man has been arrested for operating pornographic movie machines without a license. Now this was, I'm sure in my mother's circle of friends at the time, this was going over really well. And it was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So maybe about a week after that, all of a sudden, I get a phone call from one of my dad's friends who owns a business. And he goes, hey, your dad called me and said you were looking for a job. And I said, well, no, not really, but, you know, whatever. And he was like, no, he said you were looking for a job. And I said, well, I got a job, and I actually kind of like it, you know. It's all right. And he's like, well, how much are you making? You know, and I told him, and at the time, I don't know, it was probably about two seventy-five dollars an hour. I think minimum wage was about a buck and a quarter. So I was doing all right because I wasn't even making minimum wage because it was hard to get people to work there. Well, he offered me like a buck fifty more an hour, and I go, "Well, maybe I will take that job." So my dad had ended up saving me in the long run. And you know, this whole storytelling thing is—I was always worried about starting this like it was just going to be a comedy club thing, and all stories were just going to be funny and whatnot, but. But, you know, this is one of those stories where you think, well, why would you even tell people that story? It's not like this was, like, a career thing, you know, like it was going to be a big resume builder for me, you know, that, that I worked there and gotten and, and did all this. So, you know, but yet if it, when I look back on it, I thought, you know, I really, you, you learn valuable lessons, and I kind of think that's what storytelling should be. Hopefully you would learn something from all these people's stories, whether they pee their pants or swim in shit, you know. <laughs> Ho- hopefully... You're going to learn something from that. And so when I look back on the story, I'd always try to think, you know, well, what did you really learn from that? Well, you know, one thing that I learned was, is surprisingly to me, and I kept track of this, was 40% of my business was women, which totally shocked me. I was really surprised about that. And because of that, I learned a lot about things that women like because they would come in and... And you, they would want to see this rubber thing. How does this thing work? And then they would, they would tell me about how, what they bought these things for and all that kind of stuff. So, so you learned a lot there, and that proved good for me later on in life that I had that knowledge. So that was one good thing. Another good thing was is this place was sandwiched, right, between my favorite tavern and my favorite sub shop, and the hours were 1 in the afternoon to 1 in the morning. So that was all right. I didn't have to get up. That was fitting right in my wheelhouse there. So that was an, I learned that you know, if you work at a job that you kind of enjoy what you're doing, the job is way more fun. And sex and a 19-year-old kid at the bottom of a whiskey bottle, I always thought, this is okay. My friends don't know how much fun this really is. So, but probably one of the most important things that I learned was, is Appleton did have gay people. <laughs> and and they weren't the abomination that they were actually nice guys. And And I got to admit that one of my least favorite jobs, parts of that job, was having to fix the gay films because when you would fix the films, you'd splice them and you'd have to watch them, and and I, it, I don't know, you know, it just really wasn't me. But yet that was that was kind of a just part of the deal. So so the lessons that I learned from this one little incident were really grand, and I'm also proud to say that very soon after that was the end of my drinking. And it's been 40 years coming up this summer without a drink. And so I thank you all for listening to my story.
0: Thank you, Marty. Uh, So here's the deal. After Marty, we only have two more storytellers signed up. So who wants to hear a fishing story? All right. So we're going to do that real quick. But... Here's the thing. During this story, other people should sign up. We need at least two more people to sign up. So please, during this story, come find me over here. Marty's going to talk about Canada and, like, I don't know, strip searched at the border. I assume. I assume it'll be pretty similar to the porno shop story. Uh, but, yeah, come find me and sign up for a story. So once again, and judges, this does not count as his story for the evening. But once again, here is Marty the Meatman Man Sosnowski.
7: What? <laughs> uh. Wow, this is crazy! All right, now this is a pretty cool story too. This is this is after I was sober, man, and and I kind I had by this time I had pretty much straightened my life out, and so I was doing a lot better. I quit the drinking and started smoking weed, and you know what? That that fucking worked out great, and it's still working to this day. And so. So I got a I got this factory job and I'm working in this factory and everything is going really good. And and I've always liked hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. If you're going to live in Wisconsin, what are you going to do? That's what you do. So I got together with this group of guys and we were we would go up to Canada ice fishing, which is kind of crazy to begin with cuz it's fucking cold up there. Holy shit. But you know what? They have a lot of fish. And and not and the Canadians are smart enough that why the fuck do you go fishing when the lake is frozen when you can go? When they, so they didn't ice fish that much. So we'd go there, and they would just think, this is because these crazy Americans come here and fish through these holes in the ice. So we would go up there, and we would catch the, the, the perch. It was unlimited how many perch you could keep. So you could, we would go up there, and we would catch them gunny sacks full of perch and bring them back home. And, and it, it, it was crazy how many you could catch. So one time, a bunch of my coworkers wanted to go. And I was like, okay, well, I can go. So, none of the, two of the guys didn't smoke weed. And one of the guys I went with on a regular basis. So, what I would do was, it is, in, those days, it, the, in those days, you didn't want to get caught. In those days, you didn't want to get caught. Because it was, they could take your truck away. They could do all kinds of things. So, Whenever I went with him, it was always just a long weekend, so I can, I can make it through a long weekend without smoking weed, okay. So what we would do is, on the way, we would drive up, and I would stash weed on the American side. Because after four days of fucking fishing on a frozen lake, I want to smoke some weed as soon as I get across that border. I want to smoke some weed. So that's what we would always do. So this trip was a little bit different. Oh, this was fucking crazy. This trip was a little bit different. So there's four of us going instead of just me and this other guy. There's a lot of snow. We need snowmobiles, ice fishing shanties, all that shit. So we decided to take two vehicles instead of just one. We pack all our clothes into one vehicle. The other vehicle, we got a snowmobile trailer, snowmobile in the back of the pickup truck, that kind of stuff. Well, the guy that was driving the other truck, he was a weed smoker too. So so what we agreed to do was is what I would take... I would stash weed on the American side, like I always did. He was going to take weed in because he was driving his own vehicle. We didn't have to put anybody's vehicle in jeopardy. He would take responsibility if something happened. So he was going to take care of that. So that was the plan. And the other two guys knew nothing about it. The, the one guy that was riding with him, I'm not kidding you, this guy was so straight this guy was so straight, I swear to God, he only ever had sex to have children. I, he, I swear to God, I didn't even know him very well. He was just a co-worker, and he was a big, huge fucking guy. And, and I'm, t- I'm telling you, this guy didn't drink. He didn't do anything. So on the w- we go up, and, and I fell asleep on the way. I, was, I had my weed. I had a little stash of weed, and then a bunch rolled up because it was snow, and you'd have to, you'd have to stash it. So I had all this weed rolled up to stash on the American side. So we're getting towards the border, and my buddy wakes me up. He goes, dude, we're almost to the border. Don't you have to stash your weed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it pulls off to the road. I find a good place to stash the weed where we can find it on the way back. Cool. Everything's cool. Get back in the truck. Away we go. Well, we were a little bit ahead of the other guys. So we got to the border. They caught up to us, and it's us two trucks get to the border. So they told us to pull off to the side, as some of you might know, that they have you pull off the side. Sometimes they just rummage through your truck, check out a little bit of shit. So that's what the lady did. She looked in our trucks, and no big fucking deal, I'm just saying whatever. So she comes up and she goes, well you guys, you, you have to claim any groceries, anything you take with you. So we had, we had receipts for all that, and she said we were over our limit, we had to pay some taxes. So I told the lady, I told the guys, I said, okay, I'll go in and pay the taxes. You guys get ready and we'll... And she goes, no, 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 I want everybody to come in. And luckily, my buddy and I both went, "Uh uh-oh, something ain't right. You know, there's no way they're going to ask us all to come in to pay taxes. Something you could just tell by the look on her face wasn't right. So we get in there. She makes us pay our taxes on our groceries or our gas or whatever we had. And I'm just sitting there going like, the fuck so and then out of her pocket she pulls this little film container canister and she goes by the way whose is this and I was like oh my god that was the weed that I was smoking on the way up and I was just gonna throw it out and I was sleeping and I forgot and I'm like oh my god and so this lady wrote, now it's, it's fucking handcuffs on all of us boom handcuffs on all of us they take our two trucks, they pull them in this big fucking barn and they, they, they have us, it, this was freaky because I'd never been through this before at the international border. Imagine that. So they put us four on this bench and they got us handcuffed behind us to a, to a pole on this bench, four guys, and I'm sitting next to this guy that is so fucking straight that he's never screwed his life except to have a kid. And he's looking at me like, as soon as I get unchained from this fucking bench, I'm going to kill you, bastard. And I'm like, oh, my God. These guys are going to fucking kill me. And we're sitting there. And they to make a lot, they, they take apart our trucks. They take the fucking tires off the trucks. They, do, they, they thought that, well, I don't know what they... And the, I knew the truck that I was in didn't have any more weed in it than what they had found. So... That was the one they were focusing on because it had all their clothes in there. The other one had snowmobiles and shit in it. And I knew the other guy had weed, but I didn't know where it was. And so they look and they look and they look and they look and, and nothing happens. And they finally go off and they're all talking. And we've been there, I'm not kidding you, this is like eight fucking hours of chained to this bench. The only way we could get unchained from the bench is to go to the bathroom and the guard was going with us. And I'm sitting next to this guy and this, I mean, we're ta- this, is, this is crazy that I'm putting these people through. These are my co-workers. And I'm like, oh my God, this is fucking nuts. So finally the, the, the one guy comes over and he, go, he starts unchaining us. And he goes, get your shit packed up and get out of here. So, fuck, we all go over to the truck. We just start packing our shit in. Nobody's talking. Boom, we get our shit packed in. And they open, there's a garage door that says Canada. And there's a garage door that says the United States. And they opened up the Canadian garage door. And the one guy goes, are you letting us go? And I was just like, just shut up. Get in the goddamn truck and let's get through that fucking door. And we got through the door and away we go. And, and we get down the road, and I told the guy that I was with that we were it was very tense to say the least, <laughs> very tense inside that truck, and I go, listen, I go we got to stop because I said dean 's got weed and i got to find out what happened." So we stopped, and then Dean and I rode together, and we let those two guys ride together, so it was a tense weekend. we caught fish and and you'd think that we we got through it i, I just I just sat down with him right away and said, "Listen, you guys can just kill me right now, or we can just." We can just get through this and you never have to talk to me again. I really don't care. I felt really bad. So we fished for like four days. We go back home. Fuck, I couldn't wait to get on the other side of that border and pick that. fuck." But Dean, they never did find his weed. Luckily, he knew something was up and, and he had kind of stashed it where somehow they didn't find it. So we did have a little bit of weed with us. So we get back and... I gotta go back to work on whatever it was, Tuesday or Wednesday. I go going back to work, and all the other guys work days except for me, I work second shift. Didn't hit me till I'm riding into work. And I'm going, oh my God, everybody in that fucking plant is gonna know what happened when I walk in that fucking door. I walk in the door, my supervisor comes out to me, plant manager wants to see you. I'm like, oh my God. And that was the story of my Canadian border putting my coworkers through hell, man. That was a crazy day.
0: Thank you, Marty. I had something to say after that, but I, I can't remember what it was. Uh, our next storyteller, I promised him that I was going to butcher his name, but I've been practicing... Uh, the whole evening. And so please put your hands together for Harsha Dandeep-Hotla.
8: Hey. Uh, so this story is from a long time ago uh, because these days I don't break the law. I merely chip it off the edges. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Go 35 in a 30 zone. I- <laughs> Blast Judas Priest. But back when I was in middle school, back then I was a real rebel. And I used to flout the law, you know. uh, And I broke the law of the biggest authority I knew back then, my mother. (laughs) And before I go further, uh, some backstories, so you know, the motivation why I did what I did. So I have this thing where I'm affected by inertia. It takes a lot of effort for me to get involved in something, to start something, but when I start something, I can't you know I need to just finish that and the other thing you need to know is this was back uh, in late 90s early 2000s you know back when Harry Potter was a big part of your life (laughs) thank you (laughs) yeah it was a big part even back in India where I'm from and the thing about Harry Potter in India is you know scholastic they didn't factor in purchasing power parity and you know big mac index all that into account so your 20 dollar hardcover here was almost 1200 rupees back there so i couldn't justify buying that back then especially when you could get four playstation games for that amount because the pirates in singapore factored in purchasing power parity <laughs> Another law I broke, but you know I was a rebel in seventh grade. So, so because of that, I really needed to read *Prison of Azkaban*, which got released back then. And I couldn't get it at the library; it was always checked out. And the only time I could actually get a hold of that was a week before my end term exams. And that's when you really want to read *Harry Potter*. And <laughs> not your other stuff. So the rule in particular that I broke here was my mother knew about how easily I get distracted about stuff. So the week before exams, I was off limits from any source of entertainment, anything, whatever. Nothing, nothing. I just had to focus on my books, books, books the week before my end terms. Fair enough, but I can't get, you know, there was the only time I could get hold of that book finally. So I need to find my safe space where I could read that. So I faked dysentery and, you know, every one hour I used to go into the bathroom for 15-20 minutes and, you know. (laughs) Just so I couldn't, I wouldn't get caught, right? So that's what I was doing before my exam and I was just going reading, reading, reading and then my mother saw me do this all through the day and she was getting suspicious but at the very end, you know, when Hermione does the time turner thing and it it was very, (laughs) I was so engrossed in that that I sat in the bathroom for one hour straight just to be able to finish the book. And at the end of it, when I came out, my mother was really, you know, she was very concerned, what's going on? And I had to fake some stuff, you know, like Ferris Bueller, I was moaning, oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and she got really concerned and dragged me to the hospital. You know, Ferris Bueller says, <laughs> Ferris Bueller says your symptoms, they should not be specific because you run into the risk of being dragged to the doctor. I didn't have the wisdom of experience I have now back then. <laughs> so I got dragged to the hospital, and I was getting really scared now. And the doctor suggests a lot of you know, uh, blood tests, whatnot, and I thought this this was getting really serious. I was getting really scared, and I was afraid of needles. So... I started sweating, I started getting cold sweats, I didn't know what to do. And this was around, you know, when summer was beginning in South India, so it gets really hot. So the doctor sees my cold sweats, and this, you know, he has this look of, oh, I cracked this diagnostic puzzle, your son got sunstroke. stroke, he's dehydrated, so we need to start, uh, you know, IV line running with Sally. <laughs> <laughs> I got really scared, and uh, I confessed, and when I came in front in the clinic with the doctor and my mother, I confessed. And for 30 seconds, I remember my mother was like, wait, what? And then for two minutes, she was laughing with the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was really funny. And at the end of it all, yeah, I broke her law. But rather than get punished, you know, it was my birthday, uh, you know, few months and that was when Goblet of Fire released and I got it on day one so that worked out well. Thank you.
0: Thank you Harsha. Harsha told me uh, when he signed up that he was incredibly nervous to get on stage and talk into the microphone tonight so I think he did a great job. Let's hear it again for him. Uh, I think it's her first time telling a story. It might be her first time here. I'm not sure. But her name is Jessie, so please put your hands together for Jessie. Hi,
9: everyone. I'm Jessie. Um, um, This is my first time doing any public speaking. I'm really bad at it. I apologize. Um, um, I took notes. Um, I went and signed up. And as I was walking away, I immediately regretted it. (laughs) So yeah, Um, yes, okay. So my story is about my mom. Um, I'm Hispanic. So if y'all know anything about Hispanic mothers, they are equally terrifying as they are sweet. Um, So that's basically my mom in a nutshell. She's awesome, but she's really scary. Um, So just a little background on my mom. She's a huge tomboy. Um, she, you know, she plays video games, she's, I don't know, she's cool, she's got like rings on all her net and all her fingers, so like whenever she thinks something's funny, she'll slap you on the back. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it hurts. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, so she is the kind of mom that she will, um, like when we were kids, if we had loose teeth, she would, um, ask us like, you know, come closer, let me take a look. And we would be, like, slightly terrified, like, you're going to do something. And she'd be like, no, I promise, I won't do anything. So she would get close, and then she would, like, tackle us to the ground. She would pin us down and just yank our teeth out. (laughs) It was very very traumatizing. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's, you know, but she's cool. She's awesome. (laughs) So my first I have I wrote a couple of stories. Um my first story, um when I was a little baby I had cancer. Um so I was always in and out of hospitals. I lived most of my, you know, toddler life in a hospital. Um so, you know, when I got out of surgery, I was uh, you know, like my uh surgery openings were like the incisions were very uh fresh and I couldn't move very much. But then maybe a few days or a week after, um I would I was a very hyper child, so um, I would just have a lot of energy, and I would start running down the halls, and my mom would be chasing after me with uh, the IV pole. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty funny scene, you know, You it's, it's almost like cops and robbers, like I would be <laughs> running away, and you know, she would just be chasing after me. Um, my second story, um, I also, when I was a little bit older, um, I liked to climb things, um, just, you know, I don't know. Um, so I uh, was climbing either a fence or a tree on my grandpa's house, and my mom was walking by, and she looked, she looked, she looked up, and she saw me, and she, she just looked straight at me, and she said, are you a girl or are you a monkey? <laughs> and so I was like, I was like this kind of, I was a kind of obnoxious child who knew everything, the answer to everything. So I just looked at her straight in the face. I was like, I am a monkey. <laughs> I told her. And <laughs> um, uh, my third story, um, so we, when we lived um, in Puerto Rico, we lived up in the countryside in a mountain. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, horses and cows and chickens. Um, so one morning we're having breakfast and my sister's walking around the house and then she walks up to the table and she says, Mom, there's a cow in the backyard. And so we're all very confused. We're like, no, of course not. So we just keep having, she's like, mom, there's a cow in the backyard. So we all go and look, there's a cow in the backyard. My dad is a huge, giant coward. So he's he's not the kind of person to take care of that. Like, if you see a bug, he'll, like, run the other way. Um, So, you know, he was like, he just immediately packed up. He's like, I got to take the kids to school. You better take care of that. (laughs) So my mom she uh she's like, "Okay, fine, so she goes out and she takes she takes the cow and she tries to find its owner, and you know she's taking care of things while my dad is just running away um, yeah, that's my third story. My fourth story, my last one um sorry, I have a lot of stories um my mom is she, she can be very scary um so when I was about fourteen, maybe fifteen, um I met my best friend he wasn't my best friend at the time um His name's Justin. He's a few years older than me. I think at the time he was like nineteen, maybe twenty. So my mom, you know, she thought this is an adult and this is a child. So, you know, whenever they first met, she uh, she was very serious. She she was very she didn't trust him very much just because of his age. She didn't know him. Um, So like, I introduced him. I'm like, hey mom, this is Justin. Justin, this is mom and they introduce themselves and then she looks at him like just dead in the eye and she she tells him two words statutory rape <laughs> 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 and i was i was mortified i was like i wanted to die my face was red and so i was just like i am so sorry justin like just i was just apologizing and she was just like whatever you know so you know, Hispanic moms are scary. They're very sweet. They're very uh, brave. Um, but yeah, that's you know, she's she's the law. Everything she says goes. So that's kind of my nice story. Nice to meet you guys.
0: Thanks, Jesse. Hey, that is our episode for the day, and I hope you enjoyed those I Fought the Law stories. They were pretty good. And um, hey, once again, our reminder that we are doing a GoFundMe. Uh, We have purchased the computer already, uh, but we are still accepting donations to help cover that cost. Um, The computer is helping us to edit this podcast and the rest of the podcast you'll hear Um, And uh, you can find the link to the GoFundMe At our Facebook page Or at our website MadisonStorySlam.com You can find our Facebook page there And all that good stuff Big thanks to Ale Asylum As always And uh, our next Story Slam is Saturday, May 20th This is our final one of the season Until we're back in August Uh, The theme for that is Death, sex, and money I know you have a death, sex, or money story Um, So come look for that We've got some big plans for our next season. uh, Some exciting stuff that I can't quite talk about yet. And we're potentially, we might have something going on this summer that really only one other person in the world knows about. And I am really excited for the possibilities of that. I cannot say any more than that. uh, But trust me, it's very exciting. And um, hopefully it happens. And hey, I've got more episodes to get out. So get out of here so I can edit them. Look for those episodes soon. Thanks for listening, guys.